Hello and welcome to this episode of the View from the Byline podcast. My name is Alex Brinton and as usual I'm joined by Matt Lee and Pete Trofanovic. How are we getting on boys? Yes, it feels a bit weird. We've obviously got a bit of a different episode this week but uh, nice to hopefully round off the series in a bit of a good way. Nice. Matt, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um... <laughs> Were you just trying to refrain from uh, saying you, ticking along there? Matt? He, yeah, yeah. Trying to. F- he, I reckon he almost said it. I think, he's been, I think he's been in the thesaurus this week, just there, so he's got <laughs> the phrases to use. I was going to make a comment about how it's been raised to me that we, or that I say that I'm ticking along in almost every episode. Um, and I looked down and Alex is already laughing at me. <laughs> so, yeah. So you're not ticking along this week? I'm doing wonderfully, Alex. Thank you. That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> um, so, guys, as this is the last episode of the series, we thought it'd be nice to sort of take a little look back at what's, what we've done so far. You know, it was just one of those sort of like we're at the centre of a, a global insane circus and. It's horrifying and terrifying, but to see it in the flesh is something that normal people don't get to do. The very essence of the life you take for granted is underpinned by the work of the journalists which you're slating. I think there's something sort of, which still feels very personal about them. I mean, you sort of put your headphones on and and it sort of just, um, it feels like you're shutting out the noise. The license fee is a, is a kind of magical thing that, you know, what, what did people say about democracy? Democracy is the worst possible thing in terms consider the alternative. Unfortunately, the truth is rarely as interesting or entertaining as the lie. Off the record stuff, it goes back to having relationships or contacts with people that are absolutely essential. And you would say, about all the little stories. Well, that's not going to get on air. Why should I bother with that? But it's little stories that lead to big stories. And I just got there and I, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, there was just, there were Syrian refugees everywhere. They were asleep on the streets. They were crowding around the stations. They were all looking for smugglers. Started off with Johnny Greatrex. Now he's um, one of our teachers. Teachers, when well, he's one of our lecturers at uni. So we were a bit sort of, we were a bit nervous, but we was someone we knew quite well, so it we wasn't too bad. How did we feel that one went, boys? Yeah, I think it was. I think it started off fairly well. We aren't too sure we knew what to expect as we came into it. Um, I'm certainly rather inexperienced with audio production and never done a podcast in my life, so. And that side of things had no idea what we were coming into um, but it was nice to welcome onto the show someone that we knew quite well um, and eased us in gently yeah it was a it was a friendly start a friendly face so to say um, to begin with I think that made it a lot less daunting perhaps especially yeah. some of the um some of the conversations we had were quite I don't think we expected that on the first episode yeah no I didn't but um, I think one of the things that, like, we started off with Johnny, and that, that was very interesting in its own way. But what I'm, he said to us, you can aim a lot higher than me. And I think one of the things we've done very well is that 
we have got people who I, some of the stories we've had being told on here, I wouldn't have ever thought we'd have had that in this no. short space of time. So, yeah, that's I been think, really good. Yeah, I think as well, to be fair to Johnny, he still had, there was plenty of definitely uh, interesting things to talk about. So I'd say there was a good balance that we've had between yeah. maybe the more high profile guests, but they've all still had lots of interesting things to say. Yeah, I think it was definitely interesting as well, getting his view on sort of local media and local journalism and also sort of lecturing how what he thinks the future of journalism is. I think what, another thing to mention there is his role as the development, on the development side of things in taking what is a mainstream, not mainstream, but like a large newspaper in that area and, and making it more of a digital presence as well. Mm. Certainly, quite interesting to see how he went about that with the company. Then we moved on and we spoke to Howard Wheatcroft. He's um, actually Fleet Street's longest-serving sports editor at the, and his insight into what a regular day was like. I thought that was really interesting, to be honest, because that's something we're all in, aspiring in a way to be and have that sort of role, maybe. Well, hopefully, and to get an inside idea of what that that is like, I thought it was brilliant. Before the World Cup in 2018, the FA took a different approach and Gareth said we were invited to the um, FA Cup semi-final, the Manchester United v Tottenham FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. And we were in a box with Southgate, various sports editors and heads of sport. And it was all off the record and Southgate moved around and we talked to different groups of sports editors and he was very open. And it was very frank, excuse me, and the FA made it quite clear that they wanted it to be different, and it was different. Yeah, obviously he's got, you could tell when we were speaking to him, he's got years and years of experience. As you rightly said, he's the longest serving sports editor with the national papers. And it was very interesting to see, to hear from a, like a national perspective, how they handle sport and the different off operations that have to go into um you know producing a paper every day it was really quite good to listen to i think something that's often left unnoticed almost sometimes is their attitude when there is a sporting event that you don't necessarily know the scoreline of and it's going later and later towards the deadline um, and how they work around those um, but it was also t interesting to hear how they work with the england media uh, england media team and the national team there um, everyone will know that the national team hasn't had the greatest of relationships with the media in the past. Um, but Howard gave an interesting insight into how that role has changed now. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, especially because that's something we've sort of become aware of from speaking to different journalists on different things. But to have him actually tell you how they sort of got taken to a box at Wembley before the World Cup and Southgate was there and it was all sort of off the record and very helpful. And I mean, on that sort of stuff that they talked about off the record and how important that is, I, I didn't realise just how key that is for journalists in providing their sort of coverage. I don't know if you guys did. No, I wasn't quite as aware. Obviously, you've got to have a rapport with anybody you're trying to work with and to make contacts. We get told that you know, a university contacts, contacts are key or whatever the phrase is. I can't, can't remember exactly, but 
no, I wasn't as quite aware of sort of in a footballing sense or sporting sense how much they rely on that. So it was interesting to hear about that. Yeah. I mean, the guy we had next, Stuart, Stuart Watson, mm-hmm. he talked about contacts as well and how he's developed them a long time with Ipswich. And I thought he again sort of hammered home that point about how important they are. And I especially liked how he uh, discussed possibly how it is important to get to know the people at the club, not just, you know, the chief execs or the, yeah. the press, the press manager or whatever, but also, you know, the fan groups and the forums and things and being able to use all these different contacts is something that's so key to regional or local sports uh, reporters. And that's something that stood out nowadays in the situation that we're currently in, really. There's mm. no sport going on, so you can't do match reports or interviews with players as freely. Um, and so it is those more niched area of the clubs um, that make the interesting reading in a time such as this. Yeah, I think people are interested in that sort of stuff as well. I mean, and he talked about some of his experiences doing match reports and having to sort of file so many pieces so quickly and... Yeah, and he talked about sort of dealing with managers as well. I know he said his first manager was Roy Keane, I think. I mean, can't get much worse than that well, when it comes to handling the media. I think we've seen some of those viral videos of him brutally shutting down journalists, it seems. We don't want to be on the end of some of those, certainly. No, I'd, I'd probably be quite hesitant asking Roy Keane a question about it after his team's lost, I have to say. <laughs> Especially the hard-hitting ones. <laughs> <laughs> and then from, obviously, the scary world of football managers, we went into, into the scary world of, you know, politics and Westminster with Jim Waterson, who yeah. uh, obviously formerly uh, BuzzFeed as a political editor, moving over to now work at The Guardian. Unfortunately, the truth is rarely as interesting or entertaining as the lie. So on the third day, I turned up with um, my housemate's frying pan and cooked a uh, egg sandwich on the street using the heat. There's a lot to distrust about journalists. I think he brought up I think on that episode, we really changed a bit of uh, the angle of what we'd been talking about in this series, where we discussed a bit more maybe the problems that journalism was facing, especially yes. through his expertise as the media editor. We started to assess probably a bit more why it's not all, you know, it's not all rosy. There's, there definitely are problems in the industry. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was really interesting. But to go... I, the things that I really took away from that was when he was talking about how he started at BuzzFeed and how they sort of, he managed to drag them from being this yeah. sort of bit of a joke, really, let's be honest, to being, unfortunately, they've shut down now but in the UK, but they were quite a serious news organisation that was getting some good scoops. Yeah, it it was a bit of a shame, but obviously, yeah, it's, you're, you're right. Um, it was quite interesting to hear how, some a news organization breaks into seemingly a saturated market because they understood you know the algorithms the um the way trends work and things like that i think they really uh they took advantage of it like you said 
yeah absolutely the um the stuff about being in the lobby as well i, I thought that was fascinating to be honest yeah matt what did you think about that yeah i think it's something again that we're discovering along some of these episodes is that there are parts of journalism that go unnoticed and that lobby whilst everyone knows exists people aren't maybe too sure as to what actually goes on within the lobby um, and so to hear from someone within the lobby saying there needs to be change done here um, was an interesting view um, and with society going through a lot of changes I'd be surprised if the lobby isn't something that develops along the way as well. Yeah he, he so, did uh, point out towards perhaps um, quite a narrow uh, viewpoint that the journalists in the lobby seem to have and all the backgrounds that they come from so to say or well, the lack of back, lack of different backgrounds yeah. come from really yeah. yeah exactly so i think that is like you say Matt, as times are changing i think that could be something that has also impacted definitely the um the way you talked about reporting on the media i thought that was good as well because it's, mm-hmm. let's be honest it's not going to be easy when you're as he, I think he said, he reports on a lot of people he knows. He runs stories on people he knows, and it criticises people who have sort of been spending a lot more time in the industry than him. And I thought that it's a, certainly a specific type of reporting, and not something you see a lot of. Mm. And something that, from what he said, it's what he sort of always wanted to do, which I thought was quite interesting. <laughs> quite surprising that, really. I thought. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people want to go into it for uncovering stories and having your name on the by in the byline or along with the package that you're broadcasting. So to hear from someone who had always wanted to be the one criticising what the media was doing um, and praising them as well when they're doing things right, but also criticising them. Um, it was certainly an insightful opinion, um, an episode that one. Yeah, I mean, lastly on that, I, I do say, oh, sorry. Yeah, lastly on Jim, I think he did raise a, quite an interesting point that it, as you know, we all become even more consumed with the likes of social media and things. It is quite um, not useful, but interesting to see how it all works and understand the way everybody, you know, people get caught up on these trends and the way news spreads through social media is quite uh, just really interesting to think about. And it does make you think, am I sort of implicit in all this? And which everybody is. Yeah. And then I thought, then we had Rory on Rory Kathleen Jones. And I thought it was great to have someone who does TV because we we don't do we do a traditional journalism course at uni we don't do broadcast so it's not really our area of expertise but i found him talking about that brilliant really um yeah i think it was it's different angle from the media isn't it so um previously we'd speaking to a lot of written journalists and they whilst are part of the media they won't have quite as such a experience as a broadcaster and um, because of the pressures that broadcasters will go through in presenting a lot of live news um, and as print journalists or digital journalists and in training we don't necessarily experience or know what they're going through when they're 
presenting something live on air, such as the different voices that are in your earpiece and how some presenters will be staring at you as you're trying to deliver your bit of news, telling you to shut up pretty much uh, <laughs> because they've got to move on to the next passage. So it was, again, another interesting one and provided that little bit of a different angle on the media. What did you think, Pete? Well, I thought after only, what, five episodes of our podcast, to have somebody to uh, interview who'd spent his whole life at the BBC uh, coming up to 40 years, it was really um, insightful to hear both his views on the BBC as an institution, why he um, sometimes thought maybe he wanted to go somewhere else. Because if you do think about it, when he's presenting news stories, he has, what, 90 seconds or so to get across something he might have been working on for a few days. So yeah. that, that really did uh, make me think about the whole idea of broadcasting, um, how condensed you've got to try and make something, which often isn't. Yeah. I think, I mean, he talks about being at the launch of the iPhone and how that was sort of a bit of a... Yeah. He didn't really fully realise how big that was going to be at the time and he didn't I think he said he was sort of there but he just happened to be not far from Vegas I think it was and they just went along camera crew and just to see what it was and now I mean obviously we all have smartphones now and we realise how much that's changed the world but that single moment is sort of such an incredibly revolutionary thing to have happened and to have actually witnessed it is sort of incredible really yeah there are those um you know, it's a where were you moment, I guess, sort of when the iPhone, because, yeah, and I think from the iPhone, you know, he's obviously had to get a bit of a knowledge of what's going to make it in this world of technology and what isn't, because he's, he talked about how much, uh, how many times he gets sent from press releases, these new products and things, and he's got to have that eye of thinking it's not going to be, the next big thing or it is and to have that ability to have thought this iphone looks something you know this looks yeah. big. that must have been quite a satisfying thought all these years later i guess especially when he'd previously been what was it internet reporter <laughs> the yeah, yeah. Quite... and they said that the web bubble had burst or something and it wasn't going to last yeah i mean whoever predicted that i mean bang, bang on really I wonder if they're still working in the BBC today. Do you know what? I'm, I've, they're either too high up to be sacked for something like that. Not be sacked, but... but or, yeah, they've been gone a long time ago. <laughs> Bit of a misjudgment, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. I've, another thing Rory spoke about, which was really interesting to hear, was about his personal health concerns and how technology, which is obviously his sort of specialist area, has helped him so much through that. Matt, did you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, well, having had having heard his personal experiences, it was quite fascinating to hear how technology had helped him and how he was still able to do his job despite the conditions that he had and what he was suffering. Um, because a lot of people wouldn't be able to do their job to the max um, mm. in certain conditions. And so to hear how he was still able to do such a... I'd say it would be it is quite an important role. Yeah. So <laughs> to be able to still fulfil that role um, and all the responsibilities that it entails was incredible to hear. 
it was very admirable, I must say, talking to him about it, the way, because I, I remember I asked him, it sort of, you know, it's quite a private thing for most, mm, most people yeah. would find that as a very private thing. And to have that thought and uh, determination to maybe spread more awareness on the issues, he thought, mm. you know, I'm going to go make this a public sort of thing and I'm going to use it as part of my work and my career. So I thought that was really um, just quite admirable, like I said. Yeah, it was. So after Rory's episode, we spoke to Paul Dunn. He's worked for a number of national newspapers and has most recently been working as a lecturer at City Uni. Guys, what did we think about what he had to say in his episode? Well, I liked the way um, he obviously had a big expertise in um, comment writing or, you know, opinion pieces for that's the way it's uh, termed in the industry these days and obviously I do find it quite interesting because I often see people react to opinion pieces disagreeing and thinking how this newspaper let you know and this opinion be out there but that's the point of an opinion piece it's, yeah it's it's meant to make you either agree or disagree it's, and I think it was quite interesting to hear from him about what makes a good comment writer and opinion piece editor and etc so that was something I found. Yeah, there was actually a lot of some controversy this week about in the Times, mm. um, in the leader, one of the leader pieces came out in support of what J.K. Rowling said. And I, I don't want to go into what our, we haven't got any views on that and anything controversial, but that's um, just, just the way that people were reacting to that. And obviously leaders are not the, obviously the people who work at the paper know who wrote them, but nobody on the outside they're not bylines nobody knows who wrote it it's just an interesting way and a lot of people were causing quite a fuss about it it seemed even though as you said it's just just an opinion piece mm. and i liked he talks about the peter brooks cartoons as well i i mean I, I really enjoy looking at them the one the other day with boris chasing after the bus i thought it was very funny and he always seems to hit the mark i don't know what you, what did you think about them matt to be a cartoonist is an incredibly difficult job I think we yeah. to be able to come up with something pretty much every day um, that can be used that one gets a message across and also humours people in the way that they do um, it's an art form <laughs> There's no I, th I think they really do capture the mood quite a lot Yeah, I think yeah. you're talking I saw another one I think even might have been this morning of uh, a zoo, two dolphins in a zoo, uh, laughing at all the uh, the visitors because they're all in captivity almost because of lockdown. Oh, right, yeah. I thought it just, you know, it spins everything on its head and makes you think, I guess. Yeah, they do, I think. And um, Paul also spoke spoke about working for Tortoise, and I know I've started reading a lot more of their stuff recently. Mm. And they're sort of their slow news, their whole thing about not rushing in when they're not trying to break news just sort of letting stuff happen and then giving more of a detailed assessment of it i think that's really interesting and whether it is a possible future for journalism or not i don't know but i hope it is because i really enjoy reading some of those pieces yeah he did certainly speak a lot about whether that's the role that journalism should take in the future and whether it's the responsibility of journalists to provide solutions to some problems yeah I'd, I'd, journalists are there to cover stories if they can offer a 
possible solution then maybe that's brilliant but it's they're not the government it's that's not really up to them and i don't think and i think also just uh harking back to your point about the slow news i think that is something that is definitely overlooked perhaps in this you know rapid uh quick fire news world we live in where social media hits us with a story every minute of from one uh, publication or the other and i think it is almost it allows you to just slow everything down and just sort of um, filter out everything that you don't almost always need to see and it helps you understand things a bit better i think talking about being able to understand things better we then the following episode spoke to mandine rana who gave us a insight and her experiences of what it was like to travel from the middle east to safety with a family of immigrants so about what was happening with the migrant crisis, but then the whole time I was recording with this one family who I'd met at the station in, in, in Izmir. And I ended up following them all the way across, all the way up to Germany, which took in the end about sort of five weeks, I think. It was just the most amazing experience, lots of highs and lows and really random things you don't... And if anyone has to come and save you, then you're probably dead already. And they kept sending me all these sort of legal letters and I found out in the end they'd spent about about £100,000 on lawyers and reputation management people to stop the reporting. And this is charity money. Guys, what did we think about what she had to say about her podcast series and her new role as well with Times Radio? Well, the first point you made about that amazing podcast series, I think it was 15 short parts, I think, something along those lines. Uh, talking about that and the stories that came from that, I thought was captivating, really. I know at the end of that episode, we all just sat here and sort of went, wow, that was pretty amazing. <laughs> Listening to some of the stuff she had to say. The story about what happened in when there was a riot at the Macedonian border. And I've got a massive respect for her because of that, because of the way she put herself, she got properly mm. involved in the story and, sort of got a scoop that no one else got that i mean that's what journalism at least that part of journalism is all about Pete, what did you find from it well i really found of course the in, the story itself was so interesting but also it was just quite fascinating to hear about as a journalist her sort of dilemmas thinking knowing she was reporting on these people but she would in the end be able to just go back to her life you know in the UK without worrying about the consequences that the end of this journey might have mm. and that and I think she she of course uh, definitely understood that um, issue and she clearly found it quite a difficult thing to um, deal with so it was just quite um, fascinating to hear that that dilemma yeah in terms of our times radio podcast though where they sort of, every day she and, so I think sometimes it's her, sometimes it's David Aronovich, who's one of the Times' comment writers. Um, they sort of d take experts from the paper and look at a particular issue in depth for sort of 20 minutes. So I think that mm. in today's world where, like we sort of, we said with tortoise and stuff, where everything can seem to happen so fast, to be able to 
take 20 minutes out of your day, listen to that and get a proper understanding of what a story is, why it's happened. I think that that's brilliant. I know I've been listening to quite a few of them since and before we spoke to her. Yeah, it's, we've discussed a lot, obviously, the ideas of, like we talked about with Rory Catherine Jones, this idea that broadcast um, news is just five, you've got 90 seconds and that's, that's your lot. It's very difficult to understand more than what you're told from five or six, you know, BBC, ITV, Sky. You've got to sometimes stop and uh, just take a minute and listen to perhaps more depth in the story to get real understanding of it. Yeah, like you said um, previously when we were talking about Rory Ketton Jones and how you're often only given 90 seconds to present a little package. Um, This new story of our times, it does really allow you to get Mm. to grips with the big stories. I mean, currently, obviously, they're focusing a lot on the coronavirus and how that's being dealt with. But they are allowing their audience to feel engaged by exploring other topics that do get covered within the media, but not to such a degree and level as they're able to in these podcasts. Yeah, I think I sort of, I, I saw it almost as a bit of a hybrid between the your depth of your print journalism and maybe your presentation delivery of your broadcast mm. i think it works it it has a real potential to work quite well yeah and i think with people with sort of podcasts i mean we're here now doing a podcast they're sort of they're a big up and coming thing over the last sort of three four years like when they I know when they first came out sort of podcasts were like nobody really did them and then the last few years they've sort of really gone on to new heights it seems and if you can get some more of the younger audience engaged through pods and then moving into the paper, I think that's, that's obviously their aim. And I think that's brilliant. Mm. And then she also spoke about when she was kidnapped and I know we were all, I was a bit tentative asking her about it, but she was brilliant in opening up and telling us sort of, but with incredible detail about that experience and I sort of she finished telling the story and we were all just sort of sat there a bit stunned really amazing yeah. hearing it from someone like that I mean I say this podcast has helped me get a bit better at sort of interviewing and talking to people but at the same time you, you still are stumped when somebody hits you <laughs> that sort of story and you think how you can because you can't empathize well no it's very no. difficult to empathize when you know you've not been through something like that so it it really was um so it was really gripping to listen to uh, not it didn't sound um you know uh, well i thought it sounded so like in my i was doing my research for it and i came across this story and i thought oh, i have to ask her about this because if she can get talk about it it'd be amazing but it was so different hearing it from when I'd read about it. And it was so sort of real. Yeah. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I was I was trying to put the word it sort of like from a movie, but it's you know, not as uh it's not like she was sensationalizing it, not no. in that sense, but it was just so you just don't think these things happen. No, um yeah, she sort of finished it and I <laughs> we all just sort of went I was just thinking, right, I don't really know where to go from here. We were just a bit sort of stumped, really. Yeah. Incredible story. 
and for me i think that that's definitely the that seems to me to be my highlight of the series was list i mean it wasn't it was a great experience to be able to listen to that firsthand what did you think matt yeah it was certainly compelling um and made us really sit back and just listen <laughs> yeah and we were quite amazed by what she had gone through the challenges that she had faced and how she was still just as committed to her job as she was before i remember matt you always saying uh, it does uh makes people realize perhaps sometimes being out as a foreign correspondent isn't um you know there's some things that people don't realize yeah yeah it's not all glamour no <laughs> and that i also found she moved on spoke about when she was at the bbc she did a bit big investigation into save the children you obviously like a big charity do a lot of good work so it's the sort of moral dilemma of that almost yeah it's certainly difficult to report on such a case um when she was telling us that the Save the Children case that she'd reported on. So to, to be able to report on something with such conviction, even though in the back of your mind, you must be really hoping that this wasn't true. And mm. um, really, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just, you don't think that that's something that you could go through perhaps as a journalist. Um, you will face challenges from day to day and you may have to uncover things that you didn't realise were going on but something such as that case and how how high it went in the people running it and how low it went with the people being affected. Yeah, I mean, I think she said they spent something like 100 grand on trying to stop <laughs> that case. I mean, that's, as she said, that's charity money that people have donated and it's being spent on that. I mean, you've got to really look at the charity if they're doing that sort of stuff but then obviously on the flip side of that they do obviously do some great work so i don't know where the you got to be very you got to know where your moral compass is really when you're doing that sort of stuff so now boys let's talk about maybe our favorite moments favorite topics of discussion from the series start with you matt what have you got Mine would have been the interview with um, Jim Mortensen to hear about what he said with the change needed in the media, um, particularly how he went through change with BuzzFeed and what he hopes will happen with the media in the future. Um, certainly gave, gave us plenty to think about as we left that episode. Pete, what about you? Well, I'd say probably my favourite topic of discussion we've had with any of our guests would have to be uh, with Rory Kathleen-Jones, who's been diagnosed with Parkinson's. He's had a long-term um, cancer within his eye. And the way he has not taken it on the chin, but used it in a way um, to spread awareness of it through his career is something I thought was quite noble. And I found that really interesting, both researching it um, prior to the interview and sort of seeing the things that he's done and the way he's uh, presented it through his work on, with the BBC and technology mm. department. I found that really fascinating to hear about and also quite, like I said previously, really admirable. Yeah, I think 
for me the 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 most captivating thing was obviously when Manvina, as I said earlier, she spoke mm-hmm. about being yeah. kidnapped. But in terms of a topic of discussion that we could sort of really relate to and have some understanding of and ask sort of counterpoints and stuff like that was probably when we spoke to Howard Wheatcroft about how the about the England and how their relationship with the FA has changed and how all that sort of stuff is I found that really interesting personally yeah it's obviously it's you know everyone in the country you know give or take a few people are England fans so everybody's got an invested interest and it's it's always been a case of everybody's always been on you know the media hype and everything every time we go to a big tournament it's uh, always on their backs so to speak yeah. so it was to hear from a perspective of the people judged to be uh, whipping up this storm um was yeah very insightful and perhaps you've got a different side of side of the story mm. thanks so much for listening to this series of the view from the byline we look forward to bringing a new series to in the future but in the meantime stay up to date via our twitter at vftb underscore pod I can hear the music now. <laughs> <laughs>